for the last six years. Thank you, Vanessa. Um, and I'm currently working at Equinox. All right, so come visit me if you want to get a workout in or if you want a eucalyptus scented towel um, or if you want to lather yourself in Kiehl's products, like, come visit me. Um, so as a trainer, um, especially during this, like, post-quarantine era, like, a lot of what I do is to help others, like, restore a positive relationship with their bodies. Um, and coming out of COVID, I mean, a lot of people are realizing that their, their health is wealth, you know? Like, man, like, I have people coming to me, like, you know, just knowing that they've gained so much weight or, like, something is out of sync with their body. So, um, you know, like, we, we only have one body here. And uh, more than just a vocational calling, I really believe that God's, like, given me a voice to kind of speak on the physical body as it relates to our faith. Um, and I don't think it's talked about enough at church, but I really believe that God has a greater plan and purpose for our bodies than we realize. Uh, so this is my attempt to unravel that for us. I'm going to start off, start us up in a word of prayer. Um, so let's pray. And God, Redeemer of our bodies, we come to you today to just be, uh, to rest, to be present where we are, whether it be here at church or at home. God, inhabit the space that we're in, fill our rooms with your presence, and embrace us. Uh, and perhaps let us feel in our bodies that you are near, meeting us just where we are. And we linger in that today your presence, and nothing more. Amen. All right. So coming to love and be comfortable in my own body has been such a journey for me. Um, because growing up at church, I've always had this uh, misconception of what happens to our bodies when we die. Um, I, I grew up thinking that heaven is a place that where our souls are kind of whisked away to, to be with God. Um, and I'll just be like the spiritual ghost-like ethereal being while my body decays where I, where I die. Um, and that's just what I thought, uh, that my body is like this temporary vessel that houses something more eternal. Right? That it's like kind of a holdover for uh, my time here on earth. But that's not what it says, or that's not how it plays out in the word. Um, and as I get to know God more uh, through his word and through my wrestling with, you know, the theology of the physical being, I'm discovering that he has such a great, greater narrative for, for my body and for our bodies in general. Uh, yes, it still experiences death and decay, um, but there's so much more to it. I'm finding that through Jesus, our bodies, like, they go through this amazing story arc, if you read the Bible, right? Um, it goes through this, like, yeah, this amazing story arc. In fact, the whole physical world is personified through the story of the human body. Um, its creation, its defilement and death, and then ultimately through Jesus, its resurrection and redemption. Um, so I'm going to start off um, in the creation story. Um, and this story starts with 
with a poem. It starts with six stanzas and a, and a salah, or six days in the Sabbath. Right? God creates the light of the day and calls it good, and then he creates the heavens and calls it good, and then he creates the earth and all the creatures, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, um, everything that's on the ground. And then he creates the sun and the moon and stars, and he calls them good. And then on the sixth day, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And he created man, male and female. And he declares of them, it, is, it was very good. Oh, yeah. So, so. Um, so you see, in our original design, right, our bodies were meant to be the expressed, tangible image of the person of God. Um, see, this incomprehensible and infinite being was supposed to be apprehended by our own intellect and given understanding to through the human body, right? We are the image of God. Um, so when was the last time you looked in the mirror and left understanding God more or worshipped him for creating something beautiful or praising him for his artistic brilliance and genius? I think we, we probably do that way less than we should. And I'm willing to bet, like, for most of us, when we look in the mirror, we're more quick to point out or to, like, look at our physical flaws, right? But doesn't it say in the word that we were created very good? I think we'll, yeah. And we'll eventually get to why we have that kind of flawed, like, relationship with our bodies. But, uh for this moment, I just want to hold this space and this truth that in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them in the image of God. All right? So that's all of us. All right? And then we'll move on into Genesis 2. Right? Um, Genesis 2 is an in-depth look at uh, the sixth day. And it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The significance and beauty of a man is not only in its essence, it's not only in the soul or, his, or that breath, but it's also in his form, right? While everything in creation was spoken into existence, um, the physical body was, was created. It was formed from the dust of the ground. Right. So our bodies was given our substance first and then our essence. Um, so the physical body and the soul are of equal importance. Uh, I think both contributing equally to like the wholeness of a human being. Right. And after God creates both man and woman, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it. All right, so the first commission he gives to Adam and Eve is to multiply, you know, to have babies, right? And this requires the physical act of joining two bodies together. Like, shout out to our pastors who just had their baby. Um, and in the words of Adam, he says, this is bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. I mean, all right, does that ever occur to you that 
by under the correct parameters, of course, that even your sex drive and your physical attraction to another human is a built-in mechanism in your body to glorify God and to follow that first commission of, like, to be fruitful and multiply. And that's a sermon for another time, but uh, I'll leave you with that thought. I think about it all the time. And so the sixth day, yeah, um, so the sixth day ends with Adam and his wife. Um, They were both naked, and they felt no shame. I don't know if that's up there, but but it says of Adam and Eve, right? Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Um, And even the angelic beings in Isaiah 6, uh, the seraphim, they had to cover themselves with you know, two wings over their head, two wings over their body, two wings to cover their feet. But man, in its original design, um, was able to stand naked before God and be unashamed. That means, like, there's something beautiful and pure to the human body, right? But that's a different experience than the one or different experience and relationship that we have with our bodies today. Um, more often than not, once again, we're, we're, noticed to, we're quick to notice our imperfections rather than dwelling on its beauty. Oh, and we have such a fragmented relationship with our bodies, and, and we find out why as the story progresses. All right. So... Yeah, we don't have slides up, but in Genesis 3, I'll just read it out for you. You guys all know the story. Um, It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, "Um, we may, yeah, we may eat of the tree. We may eat of the fruit trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for them loincloths. Okay, so we all know the story. The devil tempts... uh, and then man and woman sin, and all of creation is cursed, right? And just as the creation, just as creation reached, reached its climax with the formation of the human body, so the curse reaches its climax with the defilement and subsequent death of the, of the body. And it says this, for dust you are, and to the dust you will return. And what was originally intended to be the expressed image of the invisible God is now, like, is now covered in shame. Whereas Adam and Eve once ran through the garden naked and unashamed, in, a, in an attempt to cover them, their nakedness, they sewed together fig leaves for themselves. Right, fig leaves. I mean, imagine wearing fig leaves, right? That can't be comfortable. 
But that's not how they left the garden. Uh, they didn't leave with fig leaves. Um, not for the image bearers of God, right? For God decided that leaves weren't enough of a covering to withstand that world outside of the garden. So at the end of Genesis 3, uh, it says this, that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So he made them, he made for them garments of skin. Uh, and the implication of this is that an animal had to be sacrificed so that Adam and Eve ha- could be covered properly for the world outside of the garden. And I don't think it says this, I mean, it doesn't say this explicitly in the Bible, but I imagine that every time Adam felt like this garment of skin, like against his own, he was reminded of the garden, that he was meant to be there. Like he was meant to be in this Eden-like relationship with God. So just a thought, like, man, every time I put on clothes, I'm reminded that, hey, I should be in it. Eden-like relationship with God also, you know? Like, even your clothes should point you to Jesus. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, we end with the curse. And then, and, like, I guess that's why, doesn't this make more sense now? Like, why we're so easily, like, dismissive of our bodies when we, in regards to our faith? It's defiled by the curse of sin. So no wonder why we grew up with such, an, such a disembodied faith, thinking my body is something I'll leave while my soul returns to God. I mean, that's, that's the curse, the curse, the death of the body. And oftentimes that's where the teaching ends, with the body being the adversary to our souls. And that is just a vessel that carries, you know, sin, that must be tolerated until we eventually die and our soul gets to be with God. Um, But that's not the narrative of the Bible uh, because we see in the Gospels that this this carnal vessel, this human body is a form that Jesus chooses for his theophany, for his manifestation to humankind. In the words of John, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, isn't that curious that God himself took on the likeness of sinful flesh? And he does this so he could take on the curse for us. And remember, the pinnacle of the curse is the death of the body. So Jesus comes to die in the body. And just as an animal was sacrificed so that Adam and Eve could be clothed with garments of skin, Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb who dies so that we can be clothed in righteousness. And so Jesus dies the death that was reserved for us. And at this point, like, a couple significant things happen um, at the point of Jesus' death. The veil of the temple is torn in two. That this curtain that represented sin that separated us from God was torn away. And then the way to an Eden-like relationship with God is made open. And then the second point I want to make, um, it comes from Matthew 27, that the earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs were open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. 
So at the point of Jesus' death, tombs were open. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's the kind of detail I, I kind of miss like, every time I read Matthew. But there were actually tombs that were open and people came out of them. Right? Yeah. So the resurrection is a resurrection of the body. Like the, the work of the cross is incomplete if there is no resurrection of the body. Like, even if our souls were raised and our body remains in the grave, like, the work of the cross isn't complete. I mean, remember, the crown of creation was man formed in the image of God. Right? And, and sin brought death to the body. So in order to utterly defeat sin and undo its curse, there must also be a resurrection of the body. And that's who Christ is. He's the resurrection and the life. And he appeared to his disciples in the body after he was raised. I mean, they felt the holes in his hands and they, they ate with him. And he's called the first fruits of them who slept. He's called the firstborn of the dead. And that means as, that as his followers, when we die, we are also resurrected in the body. And I think one of the problems we, that we run into is this, that we still, like, even after Jesus, we still look at our bodies as if they are cursed. And I guess that makes sense, right? On this side of eternity, we still carry the remnants of a curse. We still feel pain. We still carry imperfection. And we still get sick. All right, we still carry disease, and we're subject to the decay and death of our bodies. But after Jesus' resurrection, the trajectory of our body is different. Right? The curse is no longer our destiny. Death is no longer our destiny uh, because our bodies are being redeemed. And it says in Romans 8, uh, I'm just going to read this passage from Romans 8. It says, For our considering that the for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Right? When you are joined with Christ, you join in his death and his resurrection. And all of creation waits for that, for the fullness of that revelation. Right? The story of creation is personified by the story of the human body. Um, just as all of creation will one day be redeemed, so will our bodies. There will be a day where there is no longer any sickness or pain or disease but we live in this kind of like middle ground right now, the space between glory and glory. 
uh, where Jesus has already done the work on the cross and in his resurrection, but the fullness of redemption has yet to come. Uh, so what does that mean for us and our bodies on this side of eternity? Uh, think, think of like three applications for our bodies right now. Uh, our bodies are still the expressed image of God, not in full but in part. Um, like they are this intricate network of various systems that display the creative and artistic brilliance and genius of our creator. Not just in what it is, but also in what it does, right? When we work out or play sports, we become an expression of his strength. When we dance, we become an expression of his grace and joy. When we eat and fellowship, we become an expression of his delight and friendship. And when we embrace one another, we become an expression of his love and of his tenderness. And no matter how we see ourselves, I think it's important to know that, or to know and affirm in ourselves how our bodies manifest a piece of God. Like Isaac, he looks like, man, he looks strong. He's an image of God's strength. And Mickey, when he dances or when he laughs, he's an image of joy and humor. And Krista, like when she like walks up to you and gives you, you a hug, she's a manifestation of his warmth and his comfort. And Jacob, like when he skateboards and when he does all it, when he swings his axe around, right? It's like he's an image of fun and spontaneity. Uh, um, I think it's so important to like see these things in each other and in ourselves and and call that out. You know how powerful would that be, and how much healing and beauty would that bring into this world to see someone else for who they are and say, "Man, you." You're like Jesus in this way, right? All right, so number two, um, our bodies are meant to be the vessels by which we enjoy things, like the gifts of God, right? It's not only to, like, work out and, like, to, like, run and lift stuff with, but we also enjoy things through our bodies, like food and drink, the embrace of loved ones, activities like yoga and building things from wood, playing instruments, or sex. Like, not only are these things enjoyable, but they become avenues by which we experience the deeper intimacy with God. I mean, like, for dancers, like, don't you feel closer to God when you dance? Or singers, don't you feel closer to God when you worship? Um, I mean, and for me, like, some of the most intimate moments with God is experience when I'm lifting weights or when I'm working out. Like, when I work out, I hear the affirmation of God telling me that I'm strong, I'm beautiful, I'm full of life, right? And when I pursue excellence in my physique, I'm ultimately, like, led to find Jesus, the perfecter of my being. Not because I'm perfect, but because he looks at me and he says it is very good. And by those words, like, I'm free. I'm free to be whatever. But then there are times we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see. Um, And there are times when we have to deal with, like, sickness and pain and disease. All right, and we 
I don't know. I, I feel like that's, I don't really have an answer for that, but that's when we need to root ourselves in the truth and the authority of God's narrative over our bodies, like even in the difficult circumstances. And that's really uh, where the test of faith is, right? Um, yeah, I don't know any sermon or theology that can comfort those thoughts, but I don't think human words were meant to like ease those thoughts. I think it's, it's God's voice that will put them to rest to hear him say it is very good and to believe it for yourself. So I guess my, my prayer is like that in our journey to like loving and restoring a relationship with our bodies, I, I pray that that will lead us all into the loving and affirming arms of our Father, that you'll hear him whisper to you that you're, you're fearfully, wonderfully made. All right, so, okay, we are the expressive image of God. We, uh, our bodies are meant to enjoy the gifts of God. And our last thing, our bodies are vessels that carry the presence of God. And I'll end with this one. But, like, I don't know, does it ever occur to you that, like, in this, like, bag of, like, flesh and blood and bone and, I don't know, and ligaments, like, Contained in there is the glory of God, the fire that indwelt the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies now resides in us, in your bodies. All right, like, when's the next, like the next time you look in the mirror, you can tell yourself, like, I am, I'm God's temple, right? And the death that, was one, that, was, that once was meant to separate you from God is now a doorway into the inheritance of our resurrected and perfected bodies. As followers of Jesus, we carry the presence of God, and we're meant to... Oh, okay. What's up, guys? <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> and we're meant to carry God encounters to the people around us. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, right, that, all right, so we're, uh, we're meant to carry God encounters to the people around us. Uh, that's our missional call. Right? Um, it says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Right? That's Acts 1.8. So in order for the gospel of the knowledge of God to reach the ends of the earth, we need to physically go. Um, like, even in the age of Zoom calls and virtual missions, like, in order for the knowledge of God to fill the earth, I think there's still a call to go, to be physically where the need is, right? Um, and I'll end with, I'll end with my mission story. Uh, so in the summer of 2017, I went on a mission trip to Indonesia. I was, like, traveling for three days and taking four planes and, like, this car ride of death to an island that wasn't even on the map. And I remember thinking, like, God, God really took me to the ends of the earth. And I remember, like, these kids that our team was working with, like, for two weeks out of the year, we got to walk them to school. We got to hold their hands. They were kids from an orphanage, so they didn't really have parents. They didn't have parents to, like, walk them to school. 
So for 50 years out of the week, they would walk to school on their own, um, see all the other kids like giving hugs to their parents while they were being dropped off and, and yeah, uh, but they didn't have parents of their own. So I don't know, for two weeks I got to like physically like hold their hands and carry them on my shoulders and walk them into school. And for those two weeks, these kids would just walk into school with like, like so much pride and dignity. Like, like I got to be their parents for, for the week, you know? And I would drop them off and they would like, I would walk to like the entrance of the school and they would dramatically just run back towards me and like give me one last hug, you know? And I don't know, I, it was such a great experience to be in a body, like to, to hug a kid who's, who hasn't been hugged for a long time, you know? Right? Who doesn't get to feel the embrace of a parent. Um, and yeah, I don't, like you can't have that experience without a body, right? You can't, you can't do that without physically going. Um, so yeah, all this to say, like, even on this side of eternity, like, there's so much value and there's so much significance onto our bodies. Like, we're, we're the image of the invisible God. Like, you guys can come up now. (laughs) Thanks. Um, um, we're still the image of the invisible God, right? When we look at one another, it's like, dang, this is what Jesus can look like or God can look like. We still enjoy the gifts of God, right? Every time we eat or drink, like we're enjoying what he's given us or when we hug one another. And we also carry, we still carry the presence of God right, uh, to those around us. So above all, I, I just pray that our restored relationships with our bodies would just lead us to greater knowledge and understanding of God, whose image we take after. So, amen, that's it. All right. <laughs>